Okay, so this is the time normally in one of my episodes when I will have a recording of my daughter from a few years back doing a little censorship spot and letting you know that there's some bad language in this episode. I'm not going to do that one because I'm going to do this one a little bit different. This is me telling you that there is bad language in this episode. Yes, I myself am sitting here alone and dropping some F-bombs and stuff like that. So I'm just letting you know there is a little red E on this episode for a reason. There is some bad language. But not only that, how do they say it before shows on TV? There is some material in this episode that is intended for mature audiences. How's that? Basically, I'll just tell you now, I don't tippy-toe around the facts, and I am going to give you the details of the night that I tried to kill myself. So, up to you who you're listening to this episode around. I'm just letting you know that this is for grown-ups, pretty much. And whatever that means to you, I'm just kind of giving you that heads up right now of where you are going to listen to this and who you're going to be around, okay? And I'm not just doing that. There's going to be more in here. This isn't just that story. It's not just a recreation episode with a guy with a really bad wig pretending to be me over a voiceover like this of a guy telling the story of the night that I did that. But there's other stuff in here too that is very uplifting, I think, and that is going to, you know, be very me if you've listened to any of my episodes before. So give it a shot. And then if you feel like it's good for other people, pass it along. So that's the end of my little precursor for this episode of Daddy Unscripted. Hello and welcome to a little bit of an abnormal episode of Daddy Unscripted. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the host and the creator of the podcast. And normally I would be welcoming you in another language, but I just, I don't have it in me tonight. I'm sitting down and recording this episode on what is World Suicide Prevention Day 2019, which is September 10th. So hopefully you're listening to this during September still. So I hit my mark of getting this out during Suicide Prevention Month. But this is a little bit different. There's no guest. It's just me. And it's still unscripted. So I'm a little all over the place about this episode because of the topic, because of my personal experience that I'm going to be talking about and walking you all through and that I'm going to be sharing in a very humble way with all of you today. And so just bear with me a little bit. It's going to be a little bit different. And I have cheerier episodes. I swear that, I swear they're out there. Episodes with plenty of laughs and other things. Um, and other things that are important like this. But this one, it just had to happen. And Today, I, I really was planning on doing it this month when I realized it was Suicide Prevention Month and all of these things that have kind of been swirling around and telling me that the time is coming for this and everything kind of leading up to this recording of this episode, I just said, okay, it's going to finally happen tonight. So I'm sitting down to do it. I am completely off script as with all of my other episodes 
And before I go too far, I still have to do my normal business, which is telling you guys that Daddy Unscripted is a very proud member of the Osiris Podcast Network. You should check out OsirisPod.com to find out what other shows are available. There's amazing podcasts and amazing hosts and a, a broad topic. It's It used to be a lot of really just um, mainly a lot of music podcasts and a few culture ones, but now there's so much more, including two of the newest podcasts to the network, including The Shift List, which is hosted by Chris Jacobs and is a culinary podcast where he's talking to chefs and talking about the music that fills their kitchens and talking about food and music. And one of the other newest podcasts is called The Tapes Archive, which is so cool. It's a podcast with host Mark Allen, where he's presenting conversations that have never been heard before with actors, with musicians, with celebrities, and going back in time a little bit and hearing these very interesting, deep conversations, sometimes, you know, just random interviews that are going into some details that we all have maybe never heard before. So it's pretty cool. So definitely, seriously, Go to OsirisPod.com. Osiris is also partnered with Jambase. Go to Jambase.com. They are a fantastic website all about live music and empowering people to see live music. So, so you should go on to Jambase.com and find out more and find out more about concerts that are happening in your area and bands you can see. And like I talked about with Bill Protzman in one of my previous episodes, so you should look up that episode. Music is so good for you, your well-being, your health, uh, unless you're somebody that just absolutely does not like music. There are those people out there. But like I talked about with Bill, and he told his story about suicide as well and about how music truly and quite literally saved his life on one fateful night years ago. So make sure you check that out. Now I will kind of move forward with this episode. Well, this is really different because I'm not bringing a guest in. So I'm just kind of going with it. So suicide. Okay, suicide. So this has been really kind of a hot topic of late. And I think it comes and goes in waves, obviously, a little bit more. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw a ton of statistics. See, this is why I part of the, my feeling of maybe I'm not doing this quote unquote correctly, but should I look stuff up? I will. That would be the responsible thing for me. So I'm going to give you some actual figures, <laughs> unlike what I had thought I was going to do. So let me tell you some ridiculous stats because I've been seeing these things on Twitter and on Instagram over the past um, couple weeks and then today, a ton of them. And it really is remarkable and shocking. And that splash of very yucky cold water in your face, waking us up to how massive this issue and this problem is that does not have any corner on the human market. Like it is widespread throughout. There are kids attempting and committing suicide, teenagers, women, men, grown women, grown men, uh, people who truly are just completely at their wits end because they feel like they have nothing to live for. And then the people who we all have heard about, Robin Williams, for God's sake, like 
these people who seem to have quote unquote, have everything and they are taking their own lives because they are so fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And for a lot of those people, we may never know, but I will tell you some of those crazy statistics. So I'm going by looking at one of these uh, groups of statistics by the World Health Organization. One person across the world takes their own life every 40 seconds. That is crazy. Close to 800,000 people die by suicide every year. That's more people than are killed by breast cancer, by war, or by homicide. The number of male teenage suicide is at a record high right now. And it's just crazy to think about all of this. Uh, My daughter started her first year at a middle school that suffered a tragedy by suicide of one of their students towards the end of last school year. That is insane to me to think that regardless of what is going on with these kids in their lives or whatever, that at that young of an age, that something or some things are so much, so heavy, so prevalent, so daunting that they feel that urge. And don't get me wrong. I I truly believe, and I'll get into this a little bit more, that there is a very real possibility of the grasp on the consequences of these actions with not just with kids or teenagers, but with adults as well. And I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to talk about that a little bit with my own experience. Something that kind of excites me, it's weird saying that, but about this whole subject and depression and everything that kind of gets embodied into this category of um, health and mental health and the human condition is the fact that right now we are pushing harder than ever. And I think that message is getting out more than ever of talk to people, talk to someone, reach out to even somebody you don't know, because sometimes it's so hard to talk about these things and get yourself to that vulnerable place that you need to be in with somebody that you know, because there's that thought of judgment. And maybe we, on the other side of it, are not realizing it when somebody is reaching out. Because I said this in my Instagram today as well, that somebody doesn't have to have their toes on or hanging over the ledge in order to ask for help. That should be one of the biggest things from all of this drive that's happening right now uh, worldwide is talk earlier. Talk about things as they are at a yellow level instead of a red. And that some of that comes from us reaching out to others, asking how they're doing, just talking with people. And it doesn't have to be that drilling of seeming like we are trying to dig into their deepest core of, how's it going today? I'm doing pretty good. No, really. How? 
is it going? You know, it doesn't have to be like that. It doesn't have to feel like that. And potentially part of this could very well fall into like, I think social media, absolutely. And I'm just talking out of my bum bum here, but like, I don't have statistics, but it is interesting that so many of these things are on the rise during this time of social media, as we all are talking about the pressure that social media adds onto us, whether it be for females, for young girls, and for women, from what you are seeing on social media of either celebrities or your freaking neighbor who is doing so well, seemingly, by their social media. They have everything together. They are probably selling some kind of oil or something like that. Nothing personal against you oil sellers. But like they are projecting this thing over their social media of perfection or near perfection. And you, in your difficult struggle living paycheck to paycheck and whatever, you are feeling this pressure and this feeling of inferiority. Then with young girls and the models, and God, I'm going to use their name on this podcast, um, the Kardashians, those kind of Insta models and all of that stuff and what that can create for young women, the pressures, and then what potentially young men are thinking is supposed to become of young women and what they're supposed to be like and perhaps shit talking and trashing girls who are not those people and then <laughs> I'm, I'm really going like this is further out than i expected to go um from the main topic but bear with me here this is daddy unscripted i'll remind you but then with other things with social media, you've got the people that you are trying to keep up with the Joneses. You've got the people that are making you feel inferior. You've got all the pressures um, to look this way, own this, have that. Um, but also what social media does in distracting us from others, from our family, from the people in our own home, from our friends, from um, our extended family, whatever, how much time we end up spending watching other people's lives, whether it's celebrities or whatever it may be, or just our old high school friends or whatever, like all the people that you are connected to that you're watching their stories, their lives, and, and feeding all this into your head and how much time, I believe me, because I do social media for myself as a human, for my podcast, for the animal hospital that I work at, for my photography business. Like I, I do all of this stuff that I have so many accounts for. So I know regardless of the number of accounts that I'm doing it for, like how easy it can be to fall into that rabbit hole. We've, uh, I think most of us can safely say we have done it. We have fallen into that hole. Even if it's not just with people, it can be with things, with shopping. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I get all those ads and every once in a while I get sucked into one and then I'm looking at these different shirts that I like and then I click on something else and I'm, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm shaking my head at myself and saying, hey, how the 
hell did I get here? And B, why am I doing this? So like that is a very real crazy thing about social media that again, like is keeping us from connecting with people from having those normal conversations that people used to have way more often. So I don't know, that's very tangential, but just made me think of one of the ways that social media can be creating these issues that we are having with ourselves or that we are not connecting with others well enough, as well as just the bullying and the trolling and everything else that takes place on social media. And I think that that is one of the things highly recognized in a lot of these teen suicides or um, young, even younger than teen suicides. And you read about those on the news or on the internet that I just mentioned, um, where you are seeing these kids that are getting bullied and getting bullied over social media and they can't take it. And that is crazy. That is devastating to me to think about, to think that people who are able to steal that life from someone and steal that life from so many other people, from their family, from their friends, from their family's friends, from all the people that they could have known in their life. And that is what I think about a lot of times as, I don't know, what what am I supposed to call myself? Like, (laughs) I don't know if I'm a suicide survivor or a suicide failure or what you would say, but I'm on my second life. And I've been on my second life since I was 21. So I have like doubled my life from what I could have had, should have had. And that's crazy to think about everything that I have done, that I have experienced, the people that I have met since that time that I would have never met. And I say this a lot on my podcast to guests, and I 100% truly believe it. The people that I don't even know, maybe that I made some kind of I'm hoping more positives than negatives in people's lives that that never would have happened and that never would have known me. And the, the trickle down of that and the snowball effect of one person's life and everything and the opposite of that, like for somebody who takes their own life and the effect that that has on so many people, you like right now, I don't know how many of you are into this kind of music or anything like that, but in the last, I don't know, it seems we'll just be safe. We'll play it safe. Within the last six months, the number of musicians in a kind of a niche, I would say potentially is astounding and they all potentially have their different reasons, but to some extent, uh, these grown men who are artists and who are m- making so many people's lives so much better just with what they do musically is incredible. And not only that, but like the substance of, of these guys specifically and how many people just that deeply loved them and were so touched by them and so moved by the people that they were in their lives. 
um, Neil Casal being the most recent person who took his life within a week after being on stage at a giant, at a big festival, the Lachen Festival, playing with multiple different bands and seeming, what's the word to use? Like uh, normal spirits and, you know, playing music in front of so many people and seeing so many smiling faces looking up at him and people on stage smiling at him and whatever. And for whatever reason, that wasn't enough. That not only was it not enough, but there were other things that completely squashed and not only minimized that, but made it so that just didn't matter to him anymore. Something that he'd spent his entire life doing. He'd been in bands, I think, since he was 20 years old. And here he is in his 40s. And it's just crazy. It's so... I know a lot of people have been very heavy-hearted and sad and struggling for the whys and the hows. And, and, and for so many, like there will never be an understanding. There just won't. And for me, it was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm me. My experience was my own. And uh, this is part of what I don't love about telling the story is because it's very humbling to me because as I tell it, you'll, you'll get, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, but I was 21 years old. For those of you who know me and have listened to the podcast, you know that I was 17, just about to turn 18 when my dad died. And my oldest sister died two years, almost to the day later. So when I was 21, I'd lost one of my siblings and my dad. And I just was in a weird place in life. I really was. I was spreading myself incredibly thin, doing too many things. And I was in that place of, I, I didn't see how I would ever be quote unquote successful. I, I didn't see how I would ever be able to have a solid, stable life, even a few years beyond that, much less to be an adult and to have a family or anything like that. It just seemed like I was in a pit that I was never going to be able to get out of. And I, I'm not even taught, like, I didn't have incredible, overwhelming debt and anything like that. I just, for me, it was very daunting. And that thought of being a failure at life was extremely crushing to me. And giving out as much as I did to groups of people I was coaching at the time, I was working with a youth group at a church at the time. I was working at Tower Records at the time. I was doing so much and I really struggled with taking things in. I was so much of a out person that I just, I emptied myself and I got to a place where I just didn't feel like, uh, you know, I didn't talk to anybody about this. I didn't have, I didn't feel like I could, and I don't think I would have known where to start. And at the time I was living with my mom and this is one of the parts that I 
hate telling the story or thinking about because it is one of the parts that has always lived in shame for me to think about how, what's the word, thoughtless, selfish, whatever the word is, that I was doing this and not thinking about or not caring, or I don't know what the word is for that either, that my mom would be the person who would find me. And I thought about it, but I, it didn't change things for me. So I remember something was going on the week that I did actually um, make my attempt. And I was kind of planning it out and thinking, okay, I'm going to do it this next week because this is going on and I, I need to be there for that or whatever it was. I can't remember. And I planned on... And this is another part. I don't know if I'm not supposed to tell these kind of little factoids or whatever, but I'm going to walk you through the process, right or wrong. And maybe, maybe the details of it, or, or maybe it will help you see where I was, and maybe this will help somebody. I don't know. But I was going to kill myself by drinking two bottles of Drano. I bought two big bottles of Drano and I figured it would eat up my insides and I would die. And that's all I knew. Like I didn't look into the fact that this would probably be one of the most painful, horrific things ever. (laughs) Let's just leave that at that. So anyways, this one night that I was kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know how to really say it. it. I was just thinking about it and thinking about when I was going to do it and everything. And I opened one of these bottles and I put my nose near the top of it and sniffed in and it like burned my entire like nasal cavity and everything so bad. And I was like immediately said, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. I'm not going to do it. And I'm as weird as this may sound, I'm very grateful that I made that decision. And so I was thinking, what am I going to do then? How am I going to do this? I've got to figure this out. I had big sleeping problems from the time I was young. Um, I was a big sleepwalker when I was a kid. I would, when I was little, I would literally walk out of my bedroom, walk out of our house, go across the street, ring the doorbell of our neighbors and lay down on their welcome mat. And they would have to pick me up and walk me over to my parents' house and wake everybody up so that somebody could come get collect me. So I, I always had weird sleeping issues. And so I had sleeping pills um, at this time of my life. And I wouldn't take them every night or anything, but I did have quite a number of sleeping pills. So I decided, what if I take a ton of pills that will do it. That won't hurt the way this Drano potentially will. And I will basically probably fall asleep and just never wake up. So I decided to try it this night. And if it didn't work, I would take more the next time. This was my mindset. Very intelligent young man that I was. So I got two big, like over a hundred count bottles of some kind of like Tylenol, Advil, something like that. And my sleeping pills. And I got a big 
44 ounce big gulp plastic cup. Um, you big gulp drinkers know what I'm talking about. Uh, 44 ounces though. And I went into my bathroom and set that all down. This was at night, probably, I don't know, somewhere between nine and 11 at night. And I wrote a three or four page letter before I started this podcast episode. I actually went into, I have a box of cards from people um, that came and saw me in the hospital, people that love me. And I'm not sure how I got this copy, but I, I have a copy of the, of the letter that I wrote. And in it, like I'm apologizing to my mom, which I'm shaking my head at right now and apologizing to various people. And in it, I'm like, I read it before I started this episode and there are some of these chunks of paragraphs like saying, I cannot deal with what a failure I am at life. I don't want to be here anymore. Um, stuff like that. And I wrote this thing out. I put it under a photo album upside down on my bed. Um, my mom lived downstairs in our big house that was big enough to house all of us when I was a kid. So there were 10 people living in this house at one point and I was upstairs. And so I put that on one side of my bed and I went back into the bathroom and I took well over a hundred pills of whatever it was, ibuprofen and sleeping pills. And I, I can, I'm not one of those people that I can only take two pills at once and swallow them. Like I was taking probably, I don't know, six pills at a time maybe. And I remember I had to refill the cup one time full of water because I was drinking so much water, taking so many pills. So you figure I'm drinking somewhere between 60 and 80 ounces of water as I'm taking well over a hundred pills. And I, as I started doing it, I just, I wasn't really thinking anymore. I was doing this and I just kept going and I just kept taking more pills and drinking more water and taking more pills. And I went into my room. I had a mini tape recorder during this time because I used to, I used to write a lot. I used to be a writer. Um, I guess I can kind of call myself that, but I used to write a lot of, at, at this time I used to write a lot of poetry and, um, song lyrics and stuff like that. And I got into bed. I put my tape recorder on my chest and started recording. And I just recorded a poem that I have somewhere and I don't know where it is. I could not find it tonight. I didn't look hard, but it wasn't in this box. But I basically recorded this poem about saying goodbye to my life, saying goodbye to the earth. And it's been a long time. I listened. I don't have the tape anymore, but there was a time afterwards where I listened to that tape and towards the end, you could hear my voice start to slur and my voice was starting, you know, it was like I was starting to fall asleep basically. 
And I'm sure I was getting dragged under by these pills already. And eventually, like, it just stopped. I stopped talking and turned it off and went to sleep. And I didn't wake up. And my mom kind of let me be, for the most part, you know, I'm a 21-year-old. And I also worked really late when I worked at Tower. I was working from 4, 4 or 4.30 p.m. till like 1 or 1.30 in the morning. So it wasn't uncommon for me to sleep in. That was really normal for me at that time. So my mom, this is of her telling of the story, she came up at around 10 or 11 and knocked on my door. I didn't answer. She knew I was home, so she decided to just let me sleep. She came back up again sometime between 12 and 1, she said. She opened the door, said my name, maybe even gently nudged me. Nothing happened. She went back downstairs. (sighs) At like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, she was on the phone with a friend of hers who was a nurse. And she started to have a little bit of a worry about me. As I'm saying this again, I will reiterate, I feel like an absolute dickhead for doing this to my mom. Sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, not only for that, but for me saying dickhead. I don't know how else to say it. Like the ultimate like of bad son material right here but she asked her friend what she should do and her friend said you should go up and like bring a pin p a p i n or something and poke him poke him and see what happens so my mom came up and she tried to wake me up and nothing and she poked my hand or something with a pin or a needle or something and she said i'm like my hand kind of moved but nothing i didn't wake up or anything so her friend said you should call you should call the paramedics. When the paramedics came and the firemen came and the policemen came eventually um during all of the hubbub at some point somebody turned over the photo album that was on my bed and found my letter and realized what they were facing here. I don't remember if I left stuff out in the bathroom or if I put stuff away. I don't know what they knew. But, and I don't know where the, the stomach pumping took place, but it was already in my system. It had already been so long. And they took me to the hospital and I was in a coma for three and a half days. And in some of those letters that I talked about that are in this box, some of the people talked about that and talked about how horrible it was to see me tubes coming out from everywhere and me completely out. And some people said, you know, every once in a while I would just kind of thrash around. And my mom told me at one point how horrible it was to see me like that too. And, um, there was a notebook somewhere that I, again, didn't look for tonight and all of this, but um, my mom brought a notebook there to keep as like a guest book so she could remember who came and visited me. 
knowing my mom so she could thank them later um, because nobody expected me to make it. And I haven't really talked about this specifically with my mom and I perish the thought of her trying to figure out how she's going to live with a brain dead son in her house or in hospice or any of those decisions. I haven't really ever talked about that with her or who she talked about with those things in mind. I remember waking up and somebody was there and saw this, but I bolted upright when they pulled the catheter out of my penis. (laughs) And I'm sure that was excruciating pain. Um, especially to make me sit upright. And I I honestly don't remember who it was, but they told me that I basically like sat straight up in bed, took a loud sigh and basically collapsed back in bed and was out again. And then I just woke up at some point. The doctors were shocked. They said there's no way I should have had the lack of organ damage that I had from what I did, let alone the fact that I even came out of my coma. I don't I don't have stories of seeing the light, having conversations. I don't have any of that to bring you guys with this. But I've always thought of this And I know we are not all religious believers of God here. I get that. But I have kind of always thought, and you can water this down to what you want, but basically that in the very base level, my work here was not done. I was not meant to die for whatever reason. And... You know, shortly thereafter, I was just saying, like, I went wherever I went. And God basically said, not your time. (laughs) Go back to earth. And you have more life to live. And I've always said that that's my kids. That's my wife and my kids. That I never would have known about back then because I was just a dumb 21-year-old. But that is why I'm here. If nothing else, they are why I'm here. Those kids, my wife probably would have married somebody. I'm sure she would have married somebody else and had kids and whatever. But they would not have been my kids. They would not have been these two human beings that are here on this earth. And so that is part of that extension of me that is part of whatever, second life, second chance, whatever it is. And like I've said a few times tonight on different platforms, if my life in these 25 years since then has helped one person change their mindset step away from their ledge, whatever, that was all worth it. But that is another reason that happened. But I absolutely know without a doubt that my kids are why I'm here. 
why I was still here three days after I took so many pills to make a practice run at killing myself because I was deciding it wasn't my, I didn't want to be here anymore. And another humbling part of that whole thing is that that happened to me. I know that that doesn't happen to everybody. And obviously not everybody attempts to take their life the same way or whatever. Two more things I want to add really quick. One, you are not alone. You are not alone in your pain. There are so many of us that are living through our pain that is absolutely not the same as one another's. They're at different levels. They're coming from different places, different events, different circumstances. But there are so many people out here that are in pain, feeling helpless, etc. And we all need to take that step to reach out, to talk to other people. I know I've said it, but that leads me to my second thing, which is not only my number that I gave you, but another number, 1-800-273-8255, which is the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. There are people there 24 hours a day. They are ready to listen to you, to give you even that little bit of fuel back into your tank to help you make it through this moment. Again, I can't stress enough how important it is that we recognize, and I think this is something that I've learned from my experience, but we recognize things as they're starting to get to that red level and we head them off before they are at that level. But at any point in that time frame, as you are getting to that place, recognize it, reach out, talk to a friend, talk to a stranger, find safe people for you to talk to. And if nothing else, again, you can call my Google number or you can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. You can also call my Google voice number, 872-444-6784 to leave me a message on there. You are not alone. We are here for you. We are here for each other. We are all in this together because we are all essential parts, necessary parts of this current universe, this world, this society, our families, our friends, our networks, our communities. We are all important. I guess I should kind of keep the story going before I move on. I was really, maybe obviously so, out of it during those next pretty much like 72 hours, maybe even more. And so I was kind of in and out of, I don't know, I think I was kind of in and out of clarity, maybe not in and out of consciousness, but in and out of clarity while I was in the hospital. And after that, the mandatory things had to happen. Um, state mandated maybe is the right way to say that. So I had to go on a 48-hour lockdown following my release from the hospital. So I ended up in a state facility that was pretty scary, if I must say. 
Like it wasn't, I've definitely seen worse situations on TV or in movies, but to me, it was really scary as a 21 year old. There were times of supreme fear. So in that facility, that it, it was just very overwhelming. Uh, again, I was not 100% coherent yet, really, and was still a little bit out of it. And I remember the initial quote-unquote interview that took place when I first got there and them trying to determine, you know, what my level of uh, self-harm maybe still was at this point. And I remember it being fairly clear to them that I was not yet 100% in control of my mind, I guess, or able to put together thoughts fully. And that first night was very scary. I slept alone in the room last night, and I remember having just frightening, frightening dreams. I remember one of them, there was a pack of wolves that were fighting over me and trying to tear me apart. And when I remembered that dream, when I was having more kind of clarity of thought, I remember thinking that it was the fight over my body of life versus death, basically. And it that kind of hitting me like a ton of bricks that that in my mind it felt like or seemed like a battle had been fought on some other plane, on some other level over what was going to happen to me. And again, touching on the religious side of my life and everything that was very hard hitting and very tangible to me of, and I'm trying to be sensitive to everybody here, but of basically my God fighting for me to come back to my body and to do the things that I still had yet to do on earth. Pretty much like that was the way it felt to me. And I know that's going into a religious sector and I am very (laughs) like, I'm very conscientious of that. And I feel silly even saying that kind of a disclaimer to you guys, but I am not a pusher of, I'm definitely not a pusher of religion on people and I am nobody to ever, ever judge another person. I just am not. And I don't do that. And I don't believe in that. But for me, even as I'm saying this now, as that was the way it felt to me, then I can very quickly and easily tap into that same feeling of that being a real picture to me. Anyways, the second night, there was another guy in my room, there were only two people to a room. And I had very real, tangible, high-level fears for my safety being in the room with this guy who was probably in his 40s or so. And the things he was saying at night were freaking me the frick out. And I was very excited to be leaving that place that next day. And I went from there to a private facility I have never really kind of hashed out this conversation with my mom, but I know the times that we've kind of talked about it a little bit that 
she was in like racing mode, like trying to figure out what to do. And probably like, I shouldn't say probably, very definitely in a very new and different territory of non-experience. Like who who knows what to do in this circumstance, in this situation for sure. And this is all pre-friggin' Google and all that stuff, pre-internet days. So she is trying to reach out and find what to do with her 21-year-old son who just tried to kill himself in her house. Again, sorry, mom. I will be forever sorry for that. And so I ended up going into this Christian facility um, that was kind of local. And I was supposed to be there for 30 days. Uh, I learned a lot during that time. I learned a lot of very major life lessons. One that I still use and still hold very tightly to, and something that was very new to me at that time, and I had never heard before. And I think I was maybe too young for it, but I did kind of get it then, and I absolutely get it now, of the difference between being selfish, being self-involved, whatever, and taking care of yourself, and not taking care of yourself in a I'm looking out for number one kind of way that seems kind of haughty and egotistical, but in a way of, if I am not good, I can not do, in some cases, anything. And in some cases, I can't do anything for you. And I can't do anything for anyone if I'm not good and whole and in that place. So the way that they had kind of expressed that to us was, which is a difficult thing for some people to wrap their heads around, really. And I was one of those people because I was a giver. Give, 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 do, do, do. And never really thinking about, I need to stop. I need to fill myself. I need to ask people for help. Whatever. Just never doing any of that. So what they used as an analogy was perfect. That when you are on a plane and they are going through all of the emergency protocols and everything, they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then you help even your own child. You can't help them before you help yourself. And that was heavy. That was big, major for me at that time. Anyways, we did a lot of these like psychodrama things and things were crazy and it hit me really hard there that we are all different. We all have incredibly different levels of tolerance, tolerance for pain, tolerance for life crises or whatever it may be. And that was really hard for me to get at that point because I was almost at a point of devastating embarrassment when I was getting to know these other people that were in this clinic, people who had been through the absolute worst, you know, a woman who was there who had been raped by her own father and her uncle and her brother and all of this stuff for years and years and years. And just all of this crazy stuff going on with these people that just made me feel like as if we were, this wasn't happening, but if we had been going around in a circle and everybody was saying, this is why I'm here, or this is why I attempted suicide, or this is why I want to attempt suicide. And it came to me, I would be red with embarrassment and shame and feeling like you guys are going to laugh at me. But it was that realization of 
we all have our different lives and our different tolerance levels. And I remember I had so many cards and letters from my friends and people who loved me and people who said this to me afterwards. They were so shocked. They would have never dreamed that I would do this. There was no sign to them. They had no clue because I had never reached out to anybody. I had never described any of this to anyone, any of my pain, any of my feelings of worthlessness or failure or anything. I had never had those conversations with anyone. So everybody was just completely shocked and I was kind of that person that you hear about time and time again with these people who are taking their own lives and everybody is just completely dumbfounded and the rug is pulled out from underneath them because they had no clue. And that, that was my situation. And I remember really good friends of mine who it, it, it created this just incredible confusion for them, uh, not only of why did you do this and how could you do this and whatever, but this emotion confusion of how am I supposed to feel? I love you as a person so much, and I'm so happy that you're still here, but I'm so pissed off that you did this. I'm so pissed off that you didn't talk to me, that you didn't say anything to me or ask me for help or anything. You know, there were a lot of people that were dealing with that combination of sadness, anger, um, continued fear, and, and, and a little bit of that relief and happiness that I was still around, but a lot of those other things too. And I, I know it absolutely changed a lot of my very deepest friendships with people. And again, I talked about the regret and the non-regret. And that will always be another one of those regrets that I'll have that I was connected to so many people and involved with so many people in different groups and things and whatever. And the number of people, especially the kids, that had this experience now in their life that I don't know. I haven't talked to any of them really about this since then. I'm still connected with a good number of them, but I don't know what it did. I know that there were some people that I talked to, some teenagers that I talked to that had told me that it had been something that they had contemplated and thought about and I was actually able to help them with that a little bit because I don't think that they would have or were talking to anybody about their pain. And so I think I enabled them to do that a little bit. And maybe I'm just trying to make myself feel better about the tragedy that I brought into their lives. But it is real. The regret that I do have on a lot of these different levels is definitely real. And it's not something I think about all the time. And it's not something that I beat myself up about. But in these moments that I think about that, and I don't know, maybe I should do it more, maybe I should do it less. 
but that definitely is a thing. So, and I just learned this two weeks ago when I was talking with my wife in bed because she knows this story. She's known this story. She's known that I tried to take my life. And I always thought that she was kind of flippant about it. And it kind of hurt me a little bit because I always thought like she didn't give enough weight to that. And not that I wanted her to sit and weep with me about it or anything like that. But it wasn't until this month that we were talking about something and she was able to finally sit and say, I don't talk about it because it scares me. It scares me that you did that before and I don't want you to do it again. And I, I sat there for quite some time telling, trying to reassure her that this would never ever be a repeated thing and telling her that for her and for our kids, that was basically impossible to ever be a serious thought again. Uh, there's a whole another subset of factors to that, but I know that I probably will never be able to fully dispel that notion in her mind. And I, I guess I kind of get that. But I basically told her there is no way at all that I would ever consider doing that because I could not even imagine doing that to her and my kids. Cannot imagine it. And I talk a lot about on my podcast talking about legacy and what you leave this earth with and how you try to change people's lives for the better, etc. And that would be just the opposite of all of that, right? Like if something like that, if I made some kind of decision like that, that would go against everything that I have very firmly planted my life's structure on now, which is that. And this all is just such a big deal and so prevalent now, so prevalent to the point that my daughter the other day was very innocently looking up her school on the internet. She just wanted to see stuff about her teachers or whatever it was. And it ended up leading her to news stories of the kid from last year. And I saw that and we sat her down and we had to have that conversation and it broke my heart. And as if it's not enough that our kids now have to be thinking about the fact that they have to understand what to do if somebody comes into their classroom with guns or whatever. The fact that we also have to be teaching them about suicide is, it makes me just want to lay down and weep. But I don't want to lay down and weep. I want to do something about all of it. And that's, this is a small part of that. Talking and, and being very open. And it doesn't mean that we all need to run out onto the streets and tell everybody our deepest, darkest secrets and thoughts and our most intimate things. It doesn't mean that I get that 100%. But if you are feeling low, morose, melancholy, all the way through to utterly depressed, suicidal, feeling like you are worthless, 
like your life doesn't mean anything to anyone, that you don't matter. It's time to talk. It's time for you to talk to somebody about that, whoever that person is. And I will, I will put my freaking number on this podcast. I'm going to find that. I will put it right here and I will put it in the show notes and I'll put it everywhere. But I have a Google voice number that I got for this podcast. I'm going to give you that number right now. It's 872-444-6784. Call that number. Leave me a message. Send me a message over Instagram. Send me a message over Twitter. Whatever. I am 1000% putting myself out there for you guys, for any of you that don't want or need somebody to fix you, but just need to talk and just need someone to listen and maybe need someone to tell you that life is worth living or whatever it may be. I am not just saying this, and I know so many people are not saying this right now when so many of us are saying, reach out, talk to us, talk to somebody, anybody. I will give these little caveats to that. Make sure you're talking to somebody that you feel safe talking to, uh, depending on what all you're going to get into potentially and unload. Um, You know, that should be a given, but I'm just going to say it anyways. And also think about who you're talking to. If you have somebody that you know is, I don't know, a little shallow, uh, has never had any kind of inkling of a deep conversation with you, they may not be the right person. But reach out to somebody and talk with them about these things that are holding you down that are burrowing inside of you, that are creating these little hurdles for you in your daily life or whatever it may be, talk to somebody about them, whether it's a professional or a friend or whatever. But again, check my show notes for that number that I gave out and leave me a message. I, I really will do what I can to help you, to listen to you, I wish I would have done that. God, I wish I would have done that. Even though my life, see, this is kind of another funky thing about this. In some ways, I don't regret what happened because I feel like it has given me the ability potentially to talk to other people or help other people that I wouldn't be able to. I I regret it for a dozen, if not more, other reasons, believe me. And that's just something that I need, <laughs> I need to figure out a way to deal with. And I know I've had the conversations with my mom and she has quote unquote forgiven me, etc. But man, you guys, I can't stress this enough. Talk to your friends. For those of you who aren't having these issues, talk to your friends all the same. Have real conversations with people. This is that thing that I always talk about on a different level, but be kind to others. Be nice to others. Be kind and nice to strangers. You don't know what that could mean to somebody. There are so many people that we come across in our lives that we have no idea what they are going through. We just don't. We don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know what's going on with their loved ones. 
with their struggles, reach out to them. Even if it's just opening the door for them when they are struggling with holding things or whatever it may be, letting somebody get in front of you on the freeway. I mean, it's such a little thing, but like that can change somebody's entire like day plus. I don't know, you guys, this current state of the world that has people more down than ever, potentially, whatever it may be that is getting people in general more down, but people specifically that you walk past, that you sit next to, that you sleep next to, we can do a lot more. And some of it is so easy. And taking that step, again, going back to any of you who are hurting, who struggle with this, Ever. What everybody's saying right now is so true. I'm going to cuss right here. Fuck anyone who makes you feel less for making yourself better. Like that is complete and utter BS for someone to make you feel that way or for society to make us feel that way. I'm not going to get it. I, I don't, again, like some of this stuff is out of my league. But I know that there is science at work, chemicals at work, parts of our being that can be genetic, that can make us work a little bit harder on our mental health. And if you are going out and doing something about that, whether it's getting on a medication or going and talking to a professional, I'm rising up in applause for you right now for taking that step for yourself, for in a way kind of stepping across that picket line of all the people who would try to tell you that you are less for that, that you mean less or are worth less. Like that is so messed up and so wrong. Pat yourself on the back for that. Doing something to better yourself is is good. Like, how could that possibly be bad? So do that. Talk to people. Get out. Get it out. And don't sit and stew on it. Because these things that, like I said earlier, could be just a level level yellow issue. And could be just, I have those tough times every once in a while, and I'm just, I make it through them. Talk to somebody and Work on it before they're a code freaking red. That's okay. So, okay, so I'm going to kind of transition off of this onto something else. I was the kind of weird, funny guy who seemed happy. And I think that I did a lot of that back then. I did a lot of the showing. And I can think back to plenty of times that it was a little bit of a performance that I was putting on in front of people, whether it was something that I really thought about having to do or that I just like kind of kicked in automatically. But I definitely was kind of not always the happy person that they saw. And I think now when I say that I'm that person still, I'm obviously still me. But like I've kind of been telling my wife over these past couple days that this has been a heightened issue. That part is not me anymore. I I don't feel 
like I put on false airs to make people think I am in a place I'm not. And I don't think, again, that I ever really get 10 levels down if 10 is where I was at. I would be lying if I said I never get sad or I never feel a dark cloud over me. I don't know if I would honestly say that I feel that I fall into depression. I think I have my down days and my bummer days. And there are days when I have even told my wife, like, I'm just not feeling it today. I, I do not. I'm just having one of those days. But again, this is that thing. Like, it implores us all to not take any of our friends for granted. And I'm not telling you that everybody is putting on a show and all of your friends are fakers and you need to dig in deep on them. But again, having these real conversations with people, with your friends, with your family. And we all affect other people's lives in one way or another. And so many of those ways we will never, ever, ever know. And that doesn't make them any less significant. Just means that every time you do something nice for somebody that changes their day or their week or their month or their outlook for life, they're maybe not going to tell you, hey, thanks for doing X, Y, and Z because you just changed this and that. This is a weird, it's a weird episode because I'm just talking and I'm talking into my living room, my empty living room. And again, I have no script. I have nothing that I'm going on, but I, I feel like this has gone on long enough. You guys, I feel like I kind of did my closing statement, my closing argument, you know, you can't handle the truth kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so thanks for listening, you guys. Thanks for hearing my story, whatever it may have spurned in you. I hope only good things. Uh, Let me know what you think. I I don't know. Like you can hit me up on social media, Daddy Unscripted on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, um, daddyunscripted at gmail.com. Again, you can also call my Google voice number 872-444-6784 to leave me a message on there. I don't know all of you personally. I've met a lot of great freaking people through this podcast, and I'm so thankful for that. And I'm so, I truly feel not worthy for that. And not only the guests, but some of you listeners who have reached out, um, guys and girls, I'm so grateful for you. I can't say that enough. I thank you for your support, for listening, for passing episodes on to your friends or family members pass this one on to other people i feel weird saying that because as i have said like if it only reaches the one person that's great that is like more than i could ask for but why not get two why not get five ten other people 
who potentially need to hear some of this. And again, I will say I am feeling some of this pressure. If I did this wrong, I apologize. If I went into too much detail or whatever, like, I'm sorry if I should have given more statistics. I'm sorry this came from my heart. This came from my life's experience that I wanted to share. And I can't say it enough. I shouldn't be here right now. I don't deserve it because I tried to take my own life. But for whatever reason, I am and I'm still here And so I feel like I'm still here to do more stuff. And maybe Daddy Unscripted is part of that. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it truly is just to spend more time with my kids and to help make them into good human beings so that they can create their legacy. But whatever it is, I am so grateful for each and every one of you that is listening to this. If I could hug you, I would. If you are somebody I can hug in person, come come get it from me. <laughs> I'm a hugger. I don't deny it. But truly, like I'm thinking of some people in my mind right now, and hopefully down the road I will still get to meet more of you that I don't live locally to. But I'm very kumbaya sometimes. This is one of those moments. I apologize for it. But these are those moments where I'm so aware of how fortunate, undeserving, whatever words you want to use for these years, for every freaking day, every moment that I have with you guys, with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, with everybody. And I feel it. I really do. So don't make it take that kind of event or thing for you guys to feel that as well. Spread love and human kindness to other people because it's the right thing to do. And again, I gave it before, but I will give it again at the end here really quickly. The phone number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. Reach out to somebody. You are important. You are not alone. Okay, that's it. I have another episode. <laughs> that's it. That felt like a like a very abrupt ending, but um, I will have another episode coming out in just a week or two weeks because um, this was just a like kind of one off thing that I'm going to get out pretty quickly. So, you guys, again, thank you. Let me know uh, through whatever way what you thought of this. Um, it is weird for me to do the episodes without a guest, and I know I've got some editing ahead of me for this episode. So very emotional. This was a good cry. I hope you guys um, felt the realness here today. And I will keep doing that, whether it's in these episodes or the ones with my guests. You can trust me on that. I will always continue to be real in these. So thanks again, you guys. 